Institute of World Mission podcast. You're listening to the show for Adventist cross-cultural mission enthusiasts. My name is Alex Ott, and together with the IWM team, we invite you to join us today. This podcast is a production of the Institute of World Mission brought to you with support of the General Conference Missions Family of Ministries and Services. This is the Institute of World Mission podcast, and today I am joined by Mike Ryan. Mike serves currently as an assistant to the General Conference president. Through the years, Mike has helped actually to shape the missional capacity of our church as director of the Office of Adventist Mission and later as vice president with oversight of the Office of Adventist Mission. I'm excited to have you here today, Mike. Welcome to the IWM podcast. Good to be here. So as we begin, I'd like to give you a chance to say a bit more about yourself and what you do now. Would you like to add uh, something as your background for our listeners? Well, uh, I've worked uh, 44 years for the church. Uh, 16 of those years were in the Far Eastern Division, and uh, where my wife and I and kids uh, served. And uh, we raised our children there and came back as they were entering high school, uh, where I had responsibilities then at the General Conference. And uh, it's just been a wonderful 44 years. I can't think of anything I didn't like to do. Excellent to hear. A lot of experience there in the mission field, and I think this is very important for, for, our, for our audience to hear because they are right now, we as a community right now in the mission field, and uh, definitely appreciate it. So, Mike, today we wanted to discuss the role of strategic planning in missions. Now, it's a very interesting topic, and to begin with, would you please describe what we as a church do in terms of strategic planning? Uh, Yeah, strategic planning is a very important function for a global church. Uh, When you consider that we are a church that operates uh, more than 8,000 schools, uh, 40 publishing houses, uh, 25 food factories, Uh, We have uh, 450 hospitals Mm -hmm. and probably uh, close to 2,500 clinics. And then you have 75,000 church properties. Uh, We operate in all churches, I mean, in all uh, countries. But, uh, well, we have have something going on in all of them but seven. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you consider all the, everything from uh, HR policies to exchange rates to institutional viability, liquidities, and I mean, uh, and then what is the practice of church life within the church? Uh, We have certain fundamental beliefs. Uh, What is the culture of the church in relation to them? You know, and there's just a lot of things to be considered Mm -hmm. in in strategic planning. We we used to have a kind of a planning model uh, as the church began, 1860s, and kind of moving on up for quite a while uh, where what we did, of course, was always dependent on prayer and mm-hmm. the study of the Scripture. But typically what you did was sort of decided on who was the best orator. <laughs> and that model went quite a while. But uh, when you start getting more and more capacity and details in the church and a lot more uh, sophistication in, in uh, management requirements... Uh, and policy, this type of thing, then a different type of planning needs to take place. Mm -hmm. And it can no longer be just who is the best orator, Uh, but uh, decisions need to be made on 
uh, information that is accurate uh, and uh, information that uh, is, uh, you know, based on sources that would have a lot of credibility. And uh, so that's uh, uh, when I when we talk about strategic planning today, we refer to a a cyclical process that's always in motion. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't planning is not a one time event, but it is something that is. Uh, a balance of science and art, but there's probably, uh, in the early years, a lot more art than there was science, and today there's probably uh, more of a balance between the art and the science of planning. But it is uh, something uh, that uh, we need to look at because it, it, it is a major function of, of uh, bringing the church together to focus on its mission. And the mission is the purpose of strategic planning. There is no other purpose. You know, I fully agree. In fact, I, uh, as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking that our listeners who are in the mission field, serving the many institutions on the front line in many capacities, would definitely agree that missions is the most strategic function of the church and so definitely could use um, strategic planning. It sounds a little bit business-like. How do we adapt it for the, the church needs, for the mission needs? Well, uh, that, that's a good question. And, and uh, I, I suppose, really, the term came out of the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then business adapted it uh, from, from the military. Uh, but we refer to strategic planning because it is a defined term. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is something that has meaning. Uh, when you talk about strategic planning, as I mentioned, it's a cyclical thing. Uh, first of all, a, an, an organization needs to take a look at the question, what is our central business? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and many times you hear people poo-hoo mission statements. And uh, it, we do that, and we go through all this exercise, and then it just sits on a shelf, or they just read, read it once or twice, and that's the end of it. But the actual facts are that an organization at least the size of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and with the many variables that the church has, uh, they need to focus on that mission statement and continually ask the question, are we accomplishing that central business? When you uh, look at at a planning process, uh, you need to seriously consider not only the mission, and you need to basically ask four simple questions on strategic planning. Okay. Uh, and the first one uh, is, uh, where are we right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be, what is my mission statement? And uh, then uh, the, the, the next uh, question that you would ask is, if this is where we are right now, uh, where are we going? Then, of course, then that, that puts you into the mode of asking uh, a lot of questions about what are our goals? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the measurable goals that we're uh, trying to attain? And uh, and I I could dive into any area on finance or mission or church life or, Mm -hmm. you know, and and give you the data that it's the data. And where are we right now requires a large data bank. We do research uh, around the world and have partners that help us in this, Andrews University and Loma Linda, different research organizations. And we send out these questionnaires, get the data back, and then we know a lot about different things. And, of course, that, that includes everything from financial statements to, you know, whatever. But that, that kind of answers that question, where we are. Mm-hmm. Well, then you ask the question, where are we going? Well, then you're looking at goals. 
if if you're not happy with where you are, and I, an example of that uh, would be um, in in 1990, uh, we took a very serious look at uh, where we were represented in the world. We found the 1040 window. We were very weak, mm-hmm. and we did the actual numbers and and exactly. a lot of number crunching. And uh, as a result, we said, okay, this is where we are now, but we don't want to be here. We want to have a much bigger presence. Uh, in that 1040 window, we subsequently have also done the same thing to cities. Well, uh, now, if you say, well, this is where we are, and that's where we're going, well, the third question is, well, how will we get there? Mm-hmm. And uh, that involves a lot of action plans. And uh, typically, these are things that are done uh, on conference, local church levels. And they're saying, well, okay, this, you know, this is where we are, that's where we're going. Now, the question is, what plans are we going to implement? And that, uh, that that action plan process is done in conjunction with budgeting mm-hmm. uh, because you can't just say, well, this is what we're going to do and then go bankrupt trying it. But you need to kind of weigh that back and forth. And then uh, the fourth question uh, is, is, if this is where we are, that's where we're going, this is how we're going to get there, uh, is uh, the fourth question is one that we typically are quite weak on. And that question is, did we make it? And, of course, that's the evaluation. The evaluation. <laughs> exactly. and, uh, and typically, uh, we like to evaluate ourselves by our action plans. If you ask them, well, how's it going? Well, they'll tell you immediately a story or a war story, you know, some type of a experience. And it's, it's a plan of action that they've implemented. And many times we like to call ourselves successful if we've accomplished a certain number of these plans of action. But that's not the question to be asked. Uh, the question to be asked is, did we actually reach that goal? Right. Uh, because you can you can implement any number of action plans and find out when you do the uh, study later uh, that you're at the same place you were before. I can remember several years ago, 20 maybe, uh, we did uh, research that uh, asked you know about church life, and we found out that 50 uh, percent of the church members were reading the Bible on mm-hmm. a regular basis. Well, you know, if you take an examination and uh, you get 50% on a test, you know what grade you get. And, That's uh, a fail. Yeah. <laughs> and so we weren't real happy with that percentage. So we had certain things that we began to do. If we just did this and this and this, well, it's, it's going to change it. Well, about five years later, we did another survey and tested church life. And lo and behold, we had moved that up to 52% that were, were faithfully studying the Bible. And I thought back about all the activity that we had implemented, right. and I've often told people about it, and all the materials that we had, and I, I felt quite proud about that. Well, in looking back on it, all those uh, action plans and the energy we were putting out didn't really make a lot of difference uh, because we moved up one percentage point. I knew we had to do something different. So you can change action plans, mm-hmm. but the goal remained the same. So those are the four questions. Where am I? Where am I going? How will I get there? Did I make it? Thank you for bringing this, these up. Um, what's interesting is that this also can be done not just at, uh, at a large organizational level. It can be done on a personal level as well. Oh, yeah. As, as we are engaged, as our listeners are engaged in... Uh, all kinds of ministries out there. Yeah. I might also say yeah. that strategic planning, uh, while, while it sounds very sophisticated, I heard a definition that I like very much, and it is 
Strategic planning is nothing more than the organization of common sense. That sounds good. And I like that uh, because it it takes all that scientific and, you know, whatever. But we have a lot of common sense many times in a lot of places, but it's not organized. Question here, Mike. Does cross-cultural mission has a place in the current strategic plan from the year 2015 to 2020? Um, it may happen that we do not consult our, our church's strategic plan very often. And so I wanted to ask you, what is the place of cross-cultural missions in our current strategic plan that we're operating under right now? Well, I, I think uh, that for several years now, we've had, of course, a tremendous uh, emphasis uh, in the 1040 window. And okay. we know that as we enter that window, who lives there? Well, we know it, there's, it's predominantly Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, uh, animus, communist. Uh, you know, there's, those factors are still uh, in that 1040 window. You know, and, and uh, you know, one of our major objectives, of course, is to have a greater presence in that window. Okay. Well, uh, when you start asking how am I going to get there, uh, there is no question but what you will have to have a cross-cultural training with mm-hmm. workers mm-hmm. Uh, because you cannot take... What, and, and, and I'm not being critical of the methods that have been used in North America. Uh, they were very effective there. They put the work that we have a large church in North America. We have a big infrastructure in mm-hmm. North America. There's many things you can say that's wonderful about that. But when you pick those methods up and those materials and the way that we go about it, and you come over and you sit down in Bangkok and try to do the same thing with Buddhists or Muslims or you know in a different environment, uh, I can tell you, you can work a long time using those methods and materials, and they will never even understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so cross-cultural training, just in that one, one targeted uh, goal, uh, is extremely important. But it's not just uh, I- I- important there. We are a world that is more and more becoming two things. One is urban, mm-hmm. and one is multicultural. Uh, you cannot go to a city, but what you will find just hundreds of different people groups in that, Very in, close to in, each other. in that city. And it's not just someone who speaks a different language or someone who attends a different kind of world religion, but it can be people even within that same large people group, and there are people groups inside of that mm-hmm. because different tribes and different, you know, it, 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 it's very interesting. So uh, in our strategic plan, uh, cross-cultural training has to become more and more important. Thank you for bringing this up because the Institute of World Mission, of course, is uh, is intimately involved with cross-cultural training. As all of our listeners know, most of them have been through the Institute. And uh, since a few months ago, we've, we've engaged in a number of projects kind of uh, creating possibilities for continuous learning, maybe not formally with credits and certificates, but at least through webinars and post- podcasts like like this episode and, and others in, in this series um, would, would, uh, would at least be one little step uh, in, in this direction. Now, our listeners, Mike, are engaged in missions right there all across this planet. And so, um, you know, as we are moving into our next quinquennium, 2020-2025, I know you are very much involved in developing the next strategic plan. 
What news will it bring to us as a missions community? Well, I, I, I think uh, I, there are three major objectives that we're going to be uh, working on in the next quinquennium. And they aren't particularly new, uh, absolutely biblical, absolutely uh, found as a great uh, emphasis in the spirit of prophecy. I'm very curious. And the first one is mission. That is the first uh, major objective. And, of course, uh, we have uh, our... You may say the area of emphasis is mission. Now, under that, uh, there are several specific objectives right. that we're going to be working toward. And then under each of those objectives, there is what we refer to as KPI, or a key performance indicator. indicator. What yeah. that really means is a goal, mm -hmm. and it's measurable. And uh, so these are things that we want to come back and say, did, well, did we actually accomplish these things? And so uh, mission is one of the big categories. A second big category is the area of uh, church life or uh, the, the spirituality mm -hmm. uh, of the church. Uh, and uh, th this is, of course, extremely important because, uh, as, as you know, uh, it doesn't matter whether you are uh, worshiping in New York, uh, Paris, or Rangoon, or uh, you're on, uh, you know, Tokyo or one of the islands of the Pacific. When you meet Seventh-day Adventists and they come together in the church, what bonds them together uh, in, in, in unity uh, is the truth. Mm -hmm. It's the biblical truth that we have. And, uh, and, uh, and so it, it's, it's very important that as we look at mission, how, it's, how, it, how it impacts, there are certain things that we want to protect very carefully. And uh, one, of course, is that truth. The other one is the fact that every member has a responsibility to be involved in mission. Hmm. And so as you look at it now, third area is the area of leadership training. And so when you look at these three big areas, you'll find there, there are, are uh, 10 objectives in total and then many KPIs that come under that. And so I think uh, it has the potential, uh, if leadership can hold that up, and, and focus the church uh, on those KPIs and what needs to be done, uh, it will uh, take the church and pull it toward its mission statement, which mm -hmm. is what all of that plan is focused on. Um, we have just a few more minutes, and I have a couple questions here. So one goes like this, Mike. Apart from the official documents that we've just discussed right now, what do you think has highest strategic importance for the development of Adventist cross-cultural missions? Well, I, you know, yeah, of course, uh, I'm, I'm not real sure uh, who all sees the uh, uh, official documents. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what effect that would have on it. But I think of the highest strategic importance for the development of cross-cultural mission I like to go back to a very simple story. You know, when you look at the story of the prodigal son, there's some verses in that story that I like very much. And uh, we know that it was two brothers, and one asked for his inheritance, and he left and spent it all wildly, and uh, finally got so desperate, he thought, well, I'll go back and ask my father if I can be a servant. And so uh, he's trudging along, and then that passage says, and the father saw him a long way off. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And then, it, you know, it says, well, you know, he rushed down there and, and he gave him a robe and he gave him a ring and he gave him shoes and he killed the fatted calf and it said they were merry and all that. And people often look at that and say, well, wow, uh, you know, he, he identified with his son. He, 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 he reached out, you know, he was, a, but the, you know, that, that's not where it began. When you look at cross-cultural mission, it begins with one word, in my opinion, and that is that it begins as that story begins. It said the father saw him a long way off and had compassion on him. And that is where cross-cultural mission starts. Uh, in, in all of our planning and what we do, if we cannot look at someone else and say, these are people who have uh, a promise, just like I have, mm-hmm. of eternal life in heaven. I mean, they can live forever with Jesus. But, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you have as a missionary the idea that I'm superior, I came with all the information, I'm, 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 and everything's I'm, and you never pause to learn to have compassion on that person as Christ would have, then I don't believe you will ever achieve a cross-cultural mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always going to be your mission. It's going to be my mission. And uh, I think if that father had not had compassion on that son, he probably would have never gone down there and robed him, put a ring on him, gave him shoes, filled, killed the fatted cat. None of that would have been because he would have failed in the foundational principle of cross-cultural mission. Well, thanks for bringing this up. I have one more because we just we, we, we do have a minute here. What would you wish we as a church or as individual, as missionaries out there, improve in our attempts crossing culture aside from compassion, from having compassion? As you observe the missions community of our church, and like you are, you have so many years of experience, what do you think we could improve or should improve today? Okay, uh, I, I, I think probably... You know, one of the major things we need to accomplish is to have a better orientation and training for people, uh, our workers. Typically, we we find that through the years, uh, there was this initial uh, work that began in North America, and that involved uh, methodologies. Uh, We used this method and that method and that method, and uh, people... uh, chose those methods because culturally they identified. Well, then suddenly, uh, as the base in North America uh, grew, uh, they began to send missionaries out. And Jay and Andrews was the first one. And, but you had a lot of lay people going out, too, and, uh, and they were scattering all over the earth. Well, at that juncture, what they took with them uh, were the methods uh, that uh, they had learned uh, in, in North America. And praise the Lord, many of them were very successful and uh, and uh, some places where there were common a lot of common uh, values uh, the work went forward rapidly I think of you know the hundreds of thousands of members we have in places uh, like the Philippines well that happened to be a Christian country mm-hmm. uh, I could name you the same thing in Africa you go to certain countries and they were you know, and, uh, and so where we found similarities, those methods were very effective in the church grew. South America, wow. And inner America, man, it just grew, you know. But uh, one day we woke up and said, you know, uh, I, I don't know that, that uh, we've made real good success in uh, places like uh, 
what we might call the former Soviet Union, all the countries there, China, India, the Middle East. North Africa. And, yeah, and, and we thought, you know, we just, we just aren't making it. I mean, why can't they have thousands and thousands coming into the church? Like, you know, and this has been a debate. Well, you know, finally, I think we have recognized that the individual who goes out to deliver the good news and hope, uh, that they have to have a different approach. And when we pause to, to, to provide orientation training and education to that worker, we, we find that they're able to work and, as my grandpa used to say, smarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they get things done a little faster. And it's because they've paused uh, to use the key to unlock the lock rather than to go after it with a sledgehammer. And, uh, and I think that there's a huge difference in the way we do that. So if I were to say the documents, certainly the Holy Spirit, the Scripture, I mean, these are huge things in, in crossing the boundaries into other cultures. And, and there's the miracle of heaven that provides in doing this. But I think that the Lord also expects us to also uh, study uh, other cultures and languages and take the time to respect them and to identify uh, with the values that they have and uh, to go about the work in a little bit different way. I, I, uh, I think probably, uh, my, at least my experience has been, that if we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us, uh, the, the, the God answers that prayer. And uh, when we think of cross-cultural mission, uh, I've seen those with very little training be very effective, but they have been people who have been had a tremendous prayer life. So I think that's a that is a very uh, big variable in cross cultural mission is praying, asking for the Holy Spirit to lead you, and then taking the time to find out and appreciate and respect the values of other people. Mike, thank you very much for the challenge that you've placed um, in front of us. Uh, to improve, to grow, to uh, be able to do mission better. Um, great. It's been great to have you here with us. Thank you so much. It's been good to be here. Thank you. This concludes this week's episode of the IWM podcast. It seems we're getting into a good weekly rhythm, friends. A new episode comes out every Wednesday. Going forward, we'll do everything possible to make sure this always happens. So this last week, a lot of people joined us on the podcast. Very special welcome to everyone. I have one tip for all of our new and quote-unquote old listeners. We've set up a separate email list. If you'll subscribe every time an episode comes out, you will receive an email with basic episode info. But for that, you do need to subscribe separately. The weekly podcast email subscription form lives on the main page of our podcast on IWM's website. We'll link to it in the show notes. On to a different topic. A very special thanks to several podcast listeners who wrote to us this last week. One person said that he will share the podcast with a group of cross-cultural missionaries in that particular region. Another wrote a similar email expressing a thought that a group of cross-cultural volunteers would be interested. Friends, this just sounds fantastic. Please, please do share this resource with others who you know would appreciate it. It can be a huge help. 
Lastly today, the team at IWM is traveling the end of this week to meet a group of cross-cultural missionaries for a three-week training program. Now, we call this event a Mission Institute, and it is an extensive cross-cultural training experience. Many of you have been through this with us and know the kind of paradigm shifts that often occur as a result of this experience. Lots of people are going to be traveling, like I said, in the next few days, so please keep us in your prayers as we will be praying for you as well. I'm your host, Alex Ott. We'll always be happy to hear from you. Any ideas, podcast, episode topics, responses to the episodes that we already aired, questions, simply send me an email to otta at gc.adventist.org. We'll see you next week.